Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thank you so much, Deanna. Appreciate that. <clears throat> and uh, Pastor Cedric, thank you. Hey, take your Bibles today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 29 in a few moments. And uh, so if you want to open your scriptures up to that place. Uh, we are in the second message of the series, After the Rose. Don't forget the vows. And... Um, You know, there are some Sundays where I come to the pulpit and I'm ready to preach, and there's other Sundays I'd rather not preach, and this is one of them, all right? Just telling you right up front here. And um, so the Lord will help me, amen? <laughs> would, you, uh, would you pray with me? Father, <clears throat> open our hearts up and our lives up to your, to your you would say to us today, and uh, pr pray that you'd hide me behind the cross, and that you would just have your way in this service, I pray today in Jesus' name, amen. This week I received an email, or not an email, a newsletter, a physical newsletter. Now, there aren't too many physical newsletters anymore, but uh, once a quarter I get a newsletter from the, from the Church of the Nazarene, the denomination. We are part, if you haven't figured that out, part of what we call the Church of the Nazarene. And this is a newsletter that goes out to all ordained clergy within the denomination. And um, in, that, um, in, that, in that newsletter, there are things like um, things about retirement and pensions, which, by the way, the retirement and pension um, for the Church of Nazarene is really small. <laughs> but, uh, and they have a whole list of, um, of, in the back of it, they have a whole list of, of elders that have died in the last quarter, and they also recognize um, anniversaries. And um, so I, look, I always look through the, that section of the newsletter to see people, and the older I get, the more people I see on that list. And... Um, <clears throat> And at the very top of the list of anniversaries was my pastor and wife. They are celebrating this coming month 70 years of marriage. And uh, here's a picture of um, Mr. and Mrs. Clifford uh, back a few years ago. I've shown you, I've, I've shared you with the, the picture of them before and different messages along the way. But they are actually celebrating 70 years of marriage. Here's another picture recently. They were celebrating about five years ago. They were celebrating together. Uh, Mrs. Clifford here was 90 years old and Pastor Clifford was uh, 85 years old at the time. And, um, and so they're coming up on 70 years of marriage. Now I'm wondering today in the, in the house, anybody here been married longer than 70 years? Would you stand up for me? Anybody in the house longer than 70 years? All right. So that's pretty old, right? Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? How about, how about 65 years? Anybody 65 years in the house? How about 60? Oh, there we go. Congratulations, you guys. How many years? 65. Congratulations. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. And uh, I just love to celebrate. Um, you know, I think we should celebrate. I think we should celebrate. Amen. That is a victory, and we praise God for that. So 
But um, these two people are near and dear to my heart. They were my original pastors when I got saved. Pastor Clifford was the one who uh, baptized me as I was a 16-year-old young man in the middle of a lake somewhere. It was freezing cold. He was the one that taught me what it was like to be a pastor. He has done so much in my life, and uh, I just love him to death. Well, there's another picture that came up on his, on his um, social media account. And Mrs. Clifford is in her final days. And I thought as I looked at these pictures, I thought to myself, there is love. Look at these. Is that near and dear or what? You see Mrs. Clifford there. She's, she, she is... Um, doesn't really know where she is or what's going on these days, but there is her husband of 70 years there holding her, caring for her, loving her, and still giving her a kiss. And I thought to myself, young love is wonderful, but old love is even better. And um, for those of you who have, who have walked the path with your spouse so many years and have held their hands and and gone through the ups and downs of life, I want to tell you, we celebrate you today. And I believe with all my heart that God's intention for every single marriage is for you to be married till the end of your life. And, um, and some of you who have lost spouses, you understand that, and you understand the pain of that, but the journey of walking to the very end is truly the mark of a faithful, loving family. And that's my prayer for you today. So today we want to go back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. It's the foundation of marriage. It's the place where all of us should be reminded of because as I said to you last week, marriage was God's idea. It's not our idea. We did not invent marriage. The state does not own marriage. The government doesn't own marriage. It is God who started marriage. It is the foundation of the human race, and it is so essential that we are reminded of this very, very important message that we find in the very first book, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. The scripture says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You see, long before there was sin in the world and long before the fall of man, there was this beautiful connection between two created human beings called Adam and Eve. They were, they were devout, they were connected, and, 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 and God started this wonderful, beautiful um, endeavor called marriage. It was, it was a beautiful thing, and, and the man and his wife were both naked, meaning not so much physically naked, but there was complete oneness. There was absolute unity that happened between these two, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing until sin came into the world. And we've been looking at these two phrases, we'll leave and be united. Last week, we looked at the idea of leaving, which is to leave your old life, leave your relationships, leave singleness, leave your biological family, and be united to your spouse, and the two would become one. That idea of leaving is a priority, where you're putting your spouse at the highest priority outside of God. Today, I want to focus on this phrase called united. 
united. The word there, united, is the root word, and I put it on the screen and it's in your notes there. The root word in the Hebrew language that's translated united is the word dabak. Dabak, this word means to cling or adhere to. It means to catch by pursuit. Or it means to pursue hard with affection and devotion. This idea of cleaving, the King James Version uses the word cleave. You cleave. You leave and you cleave. You leave and you cleave. And God, when you choose to, to get married, you are choosing to pursue your spouse. You're choosing not just to pursue until you get them, but you're choosing to pursue them for the rest of your life. Love is, is an active verb. It's something you do. It's not something you possess. And so God wants you to love your spouse and to pursue them all the days of your life. When I was a young man, I, I saw this beautiful, wonderful girl named Jane. She was, a, she was a, a year older than me in a school called Eastern Nazarene College. And, um, you know, I was a young, hot stud of a, of a college student. And I was on the hunt. I was on the hunt. And I dated a few girls in college. But there was one that I thought I would never, ever get to date. Her name was Jane Lynn Clitic. She was a beautiful blonde girl. She th I thought she was the prettiest girl in the entire school. I really did. And I thought that there would be no way that little old scrawny Kevin Hardy, I was, I was soaking wet. I was 135 pounds and six foot one. I was skinny. I was, uh, I was, I, I didn't, I was, I was, well, I was not a stud, okay? I was not an athlete. I wasn't anything like that. I was just a kid called to ministry, studying God's word and trying to be a pastor. But I just dreamed about the day that I could date Jane Lynn Clinic. I, would, I, I even got to the place where I would be a stalker. I was a stalker. I knew where, I knew what classes she went to. I knew when she studied in the library. I knew what lunch she would go to eat lunch. I knew when she'd walk through the student center to pick up her mail. I knew everything about her before I even talked to her. And I remember one day I decided to get the courage up that I was going to take my tray and I was going to go sit at her table for, cafe, for lunch one day. And I remember thinking to myself, sweating, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to go sit at that table, I'm going to go sit at that table. And I went and sat at that table. And as I sat down, the entire table went quiet. You know why? Because everybody knew that I liked Jane. And all the girls at that table knew that I had come to that sit at that table because I had a crush on Jane. And, um, and so little did I know that she knew that I knew until I, even before I asked her, she knew, you know, but I was pursuing, I was pursuing. And then I remember the day that I, I got the courage to call her floor. That was back in the day without cell phones. I called her floor that she lived on. I called her from my floor to her floor and I picked it up and I said, can I talk to Jane? And somebody went and got Jane out of her dorm room and came to the, and I said, hey, would you like to go get some McDonald's with me? And she said, yes, can I bring my roommate? That was not my idea. 
I said, sure, you can bring your roommate. <laughs> and then she realized that I was asking her on a date. And she said to her roommate, I know you have to come now because I said you were coming. <laughs> and we went and got McDonald's together. She loved good hamburger back then. She always loved a hamburger. She still loves a hamburger. We've just graduated from McDonald's. <laughs> we're on to five guys now, you know. <laughs> so I don't know where you are. But pursuing, pursuing, this idea of pursuing. You know, when you don't have something that you want, you pursue it. It comes naturally for you. And all of you could tell your own stories of when you, when you saw your spouse for the first time, that first conversation, that first thought to your mind, that first reach out, that first date, whatever it might be, you know what it's like to pursue. And today, you know, I think both genders pursue equally. I mean, in my day, it was always the boy that asked. You know, today, the girls are asked as much, you know. I remember my daughter saying to me that she had posted on a dating website. That's how she met her spouse. But she didn't want to tell her dad that. Because I would have been mortified. But her and Jordy found each other by posting. And then she had the courage to meet in a public place and had a had a start of a love relationship, and little do you know, they're married today. God is able to do wonderful things. So today, I want to talk to you about pursuing, pursuing. And, um, and remember from, our, from last week, the most important part of the wedding ceremony is the vow. And we've already talked about the vow, but we're gonna, today we're going to talk about another vow. The first vow that we talked about last week was the vow of priority. And let's re remind ourselves what last week's vow was, what our commitment was. First of all, you have promised to love God first and your spouse second. Okay? So let's just make it clear. The, very, the most important person in your life, outside of God, if you're married, is your spouse. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. The most important person, the highest priority in your life, should be your spouse above all others. There should be no other human being there shouldn't be no other activity. There should be no other, um, um, you know, hobby. No matter what it is, your spouse should be number one outside of God. Now, we could talk about having love for God as number one. That's not what this series is about. But I want to be clear that your spouse is not your God. You do not worship your spouse. Your, your commitment is to God first. And God wants you to keep that relationship first and then to love your spouse as if you are one flesh and God has it all together. Today we want to talk about the vow of pursuit. And this is the pursuit I promise to always pursue my spouse. I promise to always pursue my spouse. Can you say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. I promise to always pursue my spouse. 
And really, that's what, that's what love is all about. Love is something you do. It's not something you just keep or something that is a noun. Love is an action. Love is, love is movement. And we must learn how to pursue our wives. We must learn how to pursue our husbands. Because sometimes we get to the place where we're like, oh yeah, she's there. Oh yeah, the old lady's there. Oh yeah, the old man's there. Oh, he's got his chair. He does his thing, whatever. And soon you just become roommates instead of lovers. God wants you to have a relationship that's alive and full of life and power and love and passion. I'm not saying you got to be like two kids anymore, but you got to love in such a way that you're moved to pursue that person in a way that says they're important and the way it said that they're loved. And so let's talk about that today. We're going to look at a great example uh, in the Bible called Jacob and Rachel. I think there are lots of great marriages in the scripture, okay? I mean, we could name a few. I mean, you've got Adam and Eve. You've got Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. You've got um, Boaz and Ruth. You've got, um, you've, got, you've got Mary and Joseph. I mean, there are a lot of great examples of marriage in the scripture. There are some poor examples, and there are some good examples, all right? Today we're going to look at the example of Jacob and Rachel, which is found in Genesis chapter 29. And the scripture, I'm going to tell you the story, and I'm going to, we're going to read a little scripture together. It's a long chapter there, and I don't want to spend a, a, the entire message on this, but I want you to catch the pursuit that, that Jacob has for Rachel. Now, let me give you the backstory. Jacob is the third patriarch. You have the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all right? Before God ever revealed himself completely in the person of Jesus Christ, in the very beginning as God was revealing himself, he revealed himself as, I am the God of Abraham. And then Isaac came along, and I am the God of Abraham, and I am the God of Isaac. And then Jacob comes along, and it's known as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob's story is an interesting story because in, in Jacob's story, he is actually the second child from, of Isaac and um, Rebekah. Am I right? Get all these names correct. Isaac married Rebekah. They had children, and they had Esau and Jacob. Esau was the first. They were twins. They come out of the womb. Remember, Jacob's holding on to the heel of his brother as they're coming out of the womb. And he's holding on. And later on, Jacob deceives his father for his birthright. He becomes first in order. In other words, they, it was a patriarchal system that they passed on the rights from one generation to the next. And your firstborn got all the rights, got all the blessings. Well, he steals it from Esau. He is known as a deceiver. Jacob is a deceiver. And his mother devises a plan with Jacob to deceive dad, who is old and not able to see very well, and gets the birthright from them. And then Esau, who basically sells his birthright for a bowl of stew... I mean, he, he, he really didn't care until he didn't have it anymore, and then he cared, you know. But he thought, and there's all kinds of lessons in those stories that I could preach on, but I'm not going to do that. But that's the backstory. And then Esau is mad at Jacob for deceiving his dad, and he wants to kill him. 
And so Rachel says, you got to go. You got to go to a far out land. Go find a wife somewhere. Go find a wife somewhere. Once you go to Laban, his, her, his brother's, Rachel, Rebecca's brother's house, and find a wife and then bring her back. And so Jacob is sent off by his dad, Isaac, and Rebekah to go find a wife. And in that journey, he has an encounter with God, which is a wonderful story about him. He falls asleep and he has this vision of God going up and down this ladder. And he hears the voice of the Lord and he makes a commitment to God that he's going to follow God all the days of his life. And although there is some deception still in his heart, and he's not fully God's. He's going in the right direction, and there's a journey there. And so that's the backstory of Jacob. Jacob is now looking for a wife. He is pursuing. He is searching. He's on a mission. And there's a lot of young men today who are on a mission to find that one girl. And there's a lot of young girls out there on the mission to find that one boy. And some of you have been on that mission a few times where your spouse has either passed away or you have, you have gone through uh, the, the tragedy of divorce in your own life or whatever it might be, you're in a second marriage, or you find yourself in a, in a situation where you're looking out. Some of you might be here today and you're dating and you think you've got the one and you're still pursuing. Well, Re well Jacob was pursuing there. And the scripture says this, while he was still talking with them, in other words, now, now catch this. Let's go to uh, let's go to Jake, uh, Jer, uh, Genesis chapter twenty nine now. Genesis chapter twenty nine. Go to verse number one. All right. It says, "Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return to the stone in its place over the well. Now, now catch this. So they're in the middle of a big field, and there's a well, and around the well there's this large stone that was on top of the well. And that stone was there to protect the well from people just coming and taking water. And they're, they're, uh, Jacob is on a journey, goes in his field. He sees these, all of these sheep and these shepherds with the sheep. And he says, hey, why don't you come take care of the, you know, come get the water. And he meets them. He talks, has a conversation with them. And he says, where are you from? They said, oh, we're from Haran, the town down the road. And he says, oh, do you know Laban? my relative. And they said, oh yeah, we know Laban. We know he's, 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 he's here. Actually, his daughter, who is a shepherdess, is on her way. He looks out in the distance and he sees Rachel. He says, there's Rachel, his daughter, and she's bringing a whole bunch of sheep. And Jacob, devising his plan, says, hey, well, why don't you guys come and, you know, take care of your sheep then you guys can go on and then I can spend some time with Rachel. You see how scheming happens when we start dating? It's like my phone call to Jane and saying, hey, you want to go to McDonald's? He's already thinking, how can, I, how can I talk? He sees her. And they said, no, 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 we don't open the, we don't open the, uh, in the, 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 the well until we're all here, because we can, we gotta, it, the stone is really heavy and we've gotta move it ourselves. 
So, while he was still talking with them, Rachel comes with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And when Jacob saw Rachel's daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. So, so what, what, what Jacob is doing here is he's showing off. He's showing off. He's like, oh, well, I'm just going to go over here and take off this stone all by myself. Picks the stone up and moves it away. It said earlier in the scripture that the shepherds had to do it together. And then the scripture says he waters his uncle's sheep, and then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, most commentators don't think that this kiss of Rachel was sexual. It was customary to greet somebody you cared for with a kiss, like a handshake or a hug. But he begins to weep. And the scripture says, he then tells Rachel that he was a relative of his father and his son and Rebekah, so she ran and told his father. So she runs off and she tells her father, Laban, hey, Guess who's in town? It's Jacob. He's come from Rebecca's house, and he's come here to, 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 to be with our family. The scripture goes on to say, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older daughter was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. So he gets back to the house where Laban was. He spends about a month there, and there's two daughters that Laban has, Leah and Rebecca. I'm sorry, Rachel. Get all these R's mixed up. Leah had weak, the scripture says, has weak eyes. Okay? Now, this does not mean she can't see. What this meant was she just didn't have any zip. She, she, she was not overly attractive. She wasn't somebody that, that, that uh, had sparkle in her eyes. Had that, had that, you know, had that look or that gaze. You're like, wow, I just got to be with you, you know. He says, but Rachel was lovely in form. In other words, she had some curves. And she was beautiful. And Jacob, the scripture says, was in love with Rachel. And said... Now, just catch this. I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. I'll work for you for seven years. In other words, he was so in love with Rachel that he says to the dad, he says to Laban, he says, listen, I know I'm here for a month working and I know you should pay me, but how about this? I'll work for you for seven years if you will give me in marriage your youngest daughter, Rachel. You talk about pursuit. Now, there's not a man in this room that has had to work seven years for your spouse. You might have had to work seven months for the ring. Or seven months for the wedding or something like that. But it comes to seven years, you know. For some of you guys who own businesses and you've got some girls in your family, you could get some free labor for seven years. How's that? But this was the deal back then. And he was so, he was so emphatic. He offers himself. He's like, I love your daughter. I'll work for her for seven years. 
And what blows me away is that the scripture goes on to say, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. In other words, he says, you're pretty good. I think I'll let her go with you. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Now notice what it says. But they seem like only a few days to him because of her love for her. In other words, the pursuit is a joy. The pursuit is, is something you just, you just do. You spend all night. I remember listening to Pastor Clifford back in when, he was, when I was just a young man. I'd hear him talk about his marriage. And he was, he was, a, he was a Navy sailor. He was a submariner. And he would come into port and somewhere, you know, either down in Virginia Beach or in Florida or whatever, he would come to port. And the first thing he would do, he was get in his car and he would drive all night to Ohio to see Mrs. Clifford. It wasn't a big deal. He didn't sleep. He would just drive all night to get there to see her. To get here to spend a few minutes where there, then drive all the way back within 24 hours to get back to his duty station. And it wasn't a big deal to him. Why? Because he loved his girl. He pursued her. And could I tell you, if you are dating somebody, if you're in the dating scheme and they're not pursuing you, don't date them anymore. If you have to be the one to do all the work and they do none of the work, there's a problem. It should be mutual. It should be pursuing. It should be moving in that direction. And David said, I, you know, I've worked seven years, but man, it's gone by really fast. And then it comes to the day. He says, he says then Jacob said, give me my wife. My time is complete. I've done the time. Now I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to lie with her. In other words, I want to have I've waited seven years. Now, can I just say a word to the singles here? Wait till you get married before you have sex. Sex is a gift from the Lord that binds your souls together. And when you wait and anticipate until after you're married, it will strengthen the bonds of your marriage deeper and deeper and deeper. Too many couples today have tried everything and done everything, and the wedding night is no different from the night or two before. If you keep yourself pure and holy until the day that you get married... Jacob had waited, and he says, please give me my wife. You promised. I've done it. I've been waiting. I've been waiting. It's been by fast. I have labored well. So Laban, what did he do? He brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. He gave a feast. Let's have a party. My son has completed a task, and he's going to get married. He's going to lie with my daughter. But when evening came... He took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lied, lay with her, and Laban gave his servant girl Zipha to his daughter as her maidservant. 
And when morning came, there was Leah. Now, I want to be honest with you. I was reading this. I was like, Jacob, you dumb? Like, really? Like, you didn't realize that you weren't sleeping with Rachel? You were sleeping with her sister? Like, how is that even possible? And there's a few scenarios here that the commentators talk about. They say, well, maybe there was a veil on her face and she was covered up and they couldn't really see her. And maybe they had the same body type, but, you know, they couldn't see the eyes at the point because she had weak eyes. She didn't have that sparkle. She didn't see the face. Maybe he was too intoxicated. It was too dark. Whatever it was. The next morning, Jacob wakes up and he says, Oh no! I married the wrong girl. I've been deceived. Sound familiar? I've been deceived. Who was the deceiver? Jacob. Who did he deceive? His father. With his mother scheming to get the birthright of his brother. And now later on we find that the deceiver is actually deceived. And Laban says to him, it's not our custom here to give young daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish the daughter's bridal week. In other words, do all the customary things that a, that a husband and wife do the first week. Finish it all out. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. This is the big switcheroo. How'd you like to be married to two women? One that you don't want, but you got to keep her in order to get the one you want. I don't know about you, but I'm glad that didn't happen to me. And how would you like to be Leah? How'd you like to be married to the guy who doesn't really want you? but has to keep you in order to keep the one you really want. Now, these customs and these types of things don't happen today, but this is exactly what Jacob had to go through. But he loved Rachel, that he was not only willing to give seven years of his life to marry her, but then he was willing to give another seven years to keep her. Fourteen years of his life. He pursued her. Fourteen years. It's a great example of what real love is all about. And they, by the way, Leah, Rachel, and their two maidservants, so there were two concubines, all together they had 12 children. And those 12 children become the 12 tribes of Israel. Those 12 children are blessed by God. Leah, by the way, had the first six because Rachel couldn't have children and was barren, which in that day and time was almost like a curse. Leah wasn't as loved as Rachel was, but Leah had the blessing of God giving her children, which was a tremendous blessing to her in her life. Well, there are three ways to pursue your spouse, and I want to give you three practical things today. I gave you an example of what it is. 
I've told you what it is, but let me give you three things. First of all, when you think something is good, say it. Can I tell you? The best thing that you can say to your spouse every day is words of gratitude. Words like, I love you. The scripture says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Encourage one another daily. Our words, I talked to you a little bit about this last week, your communication. But our words are words of pursuit. Our words are words of life. Our words are words that bring, that bring love and, and express gratitude. And when you express gratitude to your spouse by saying things like this, Honey, I am so thankful I married you. I'm so thankful that you are my man or you're my girl. I'm so thankful for the life we have together. I'm so thankful that, that you did this for me or that for me. But our, that we should not take each other for granted. We should be constantly expressing gratitude towards our spouse. That's one way that we can, we, when you think something is good, say it. A lot of times we think something is good, but we never verbalize it. So just say it out loud. Put words behind it. Live saying thank you. And also live saying I love you because. A lot of times you might be saying I love you honey, I love you honey. But I do think sometimes we need to say more than I love you. We need to tell them why we love them. Sometimes we do that in special things like just so you go nice. No, Valentine's Day is two days away. It's, it's Hallmark's day of love. But could I tell you, if you let that day go and don't even say a word about it, you are in deep doo-doo. You're in the doghouse, okay? I'm not saying you got to spend a zillion dollars, but you at least got to do something special and you got to express it in words. Get a card, write it out. Tell the person that you're married to how important they are, they're a priority, and then express some words that actually pursue them. Love them. I love to get Valentine's cards. I've got a lot of them saved in my top drawer of my, of my dresser. And in every card that that woman has ever given me, she never just signs her name. She always writes me a note. And could I tell you, I like her words more than the card's words. And I read the note, and the note expresses her heart. And your heart should be expressed to your spouse. Say, I love you because, and give them a reason why. Men, she wants to know, do you love me today? Not just yesterday, not just the day you married her. She needs to know that you love her today. 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 And that means every single day that you get up, every single day that you have life, every single day that God blesses you with your spouse, you should be expressing love. Sometimes it's just a word. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's a kiss. Sometimes it's doing something nice for them. But you must express do your love for your spouse, for your wife. 
They need to hear it and they long to hear it. And when you take them for granted and when you just say, oh, yeah, she knows I love her. I had one guy that I knew recently who said to me, I've only told her I loved her six times in my life. Those are the special times, and I only reserve I love yous for special times. And I said, in 20 years, you only had six times? I didn't know the guy very well, but I wanted to punch him in the nose. Men, women, what does he want to know? He wants to know, do you believe in him today? You know what a man needs? He needs to feel like his woman believes in him. There's something about honor and respect. Honor and respect. He's my guy. You did a good job today. Your words can actually make a man either rise up or fall down. Simply by the tone and the words that you express to them. Your words matter. Sometimes I'll tell you when, when Jane says to me, Kevin, that was a good message today. I go, oh, I needed to hear that. You know why? Because every, every day I leave the pulpit and I go, man, that was a knucklehead message today. I have Mondays where I get up and I go, man, I just want to go sell shoes. I mean, it'd be a whole lot easier. I mean, I'm standing on a stage and I'm bearing my soul to people all day long. And, and sometimes I don't even know if they think I'm nuts, whacked out, foolish. But you know what I really need? I just need the person I love the most to believe in me. And your husband needs you to believe in him. Amen? Here's the second thing. Three ways to pursue your spouse. When you think something is special, do it. When you think something is special, do it. Scripture says this. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I mean... It's those, it's those everyday special moments that you make special by doing just simple things. Really says, I love you and you're pursuing your spouse. Let me give you six examples, okay? There should be hundreds of examples you could give, but let me give you six of them. First, come home early. If you work, just show up early one day and say, I just came home because I missed you. I came home because I couldn't wait to be with you. Could I tell you? That speaks volumes. Okay? How about this one? Surprise your spouse with lunch or a coffee. I'll never forget, Jane and I, we were, we were youth pastors in Roanoke, Virginia. And we went to a restaurant for lunch. And as we were sitting there, there were two men that had planned a surprise vacation for their spouses without them knowing about it. They planned the babysitters. 
They, they planned the flights, the hotels, they packed the bags, they did everything. And their wives were showing up, unbeknownst to them, to a lunch where they were announcing that they were going on a surprise vacation together. And Jane and I are sitting there and we're just kind of listening. We're like, oh, isn't this so cool? But could I tell you, you don't have to surprise with a luxury vacation, but you could surprise with lunch or a coffee. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be the first to confess this. I've gone to the coffee shop on the way home and only thought about myself and didn't think about my wife and showed up with the hot cup of coffee. And she looks at me and she's like, Now, Starbucks is only like two minutes from my house. Do that a couple of times and you're going to wreck your marriage. Think about them. You know what I've discovered? She never goes to get coffee without getting it for me. Do the dishes, guys. Can I get an amen from some wife out there? Do the dishes. Bathe the kids. Cook the dinner. You don't want me cooking. I don't cook very well. I do have Thursday nights now. Thursday nights is my night to cook. We usually go out. <laughs> How about fill the tank with gas? You're driving your spouse's car and you see it going down to E and you stop and fill it and then she gets in her car the next morning and she goes, aww, he filled my tank. Simple ways to do simple things. It's how you pursue your spouse. All right, one more. When you want something different, be it. You want your wife to serve you more? You want your husband to serve you more? You serve. You want them to be kinder to you? You be kind. A lot of times, here's what happens in relationships. We do the round and round and round and round and round. And we say, who's going to go first? I'll do it when he does it. I'll do it when she does it. And we wait 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 and we're hoping. All we do is hope. And while we're hoping and we're not doing it, we are building up resentments in our heart towards our spouse. We are building walls. We are building walls in such a way that we are, we are finding ourselves going in opposite directions. You must take the Jesus way. You know what the Jesus way was? When Jesus showed up and nobody was there to wash feet, what did Jesus do? He took off his outer garment. I love what the scripture says here. It says, it was just before the Passover, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to where. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what did Jesus do? He takes off his outer garment and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He takes the initiative. 
He doesn't wait. He doesn't sit around and go, okay, which one of my disciples are going to wash my feet? Because there's no servant here to do it. Who's going to step up? And then I'm just going to wait until they, don't, until they don't do it. And then I'm going to whack them. No, he takes the initiative. If you want to be a great man or woman of God and have a great marriage, you have to be what you want your spouse to be. You have to initiate. You have to step out. And when you do that, you will find you will open the floodgates of God to work in your life in powerful, powerful ways. Now, we all know that we're failures at times. We all know that we do the sometimes the right things and our spouses don't do it. That's where we need to go back to the Lord and say, God, help me. Fill me up. Help me not to hold on to grudges and resentments. Help me to love. Help me to communicate. Help me to write the card. Do all the things I'm supposed to do, Lord. Help me. Because God, I am pursuing my spouse. Even when they are not pursuing me. God wants you to be that kind of person. Amen? Well, stand with me, would you? It's loud back there. Hey, can you guys be quiet? We're having a service down here. You're so rude up there all the time. Soon we're going to have a wall. And they can be as loud as they want to be. Amen? Construction will start soon. We're going to dig a hole out there this week, hopefully, for a new septic system. God's going to help us there. But as we conclude this service, here's what I'd like you to do. If your marriage is hurting today and you need prayer, why don't you take her by the hand and lead her to your knees? Amen? Guys, I want you to hear this. One of the needs of your spouse is for you to lead as a servant. Men who are passive are not meeting the greatest needs of their spouses. Don't wait for them to lead. You lead. Do what you know you need to do. Lead the way. Hold their hand, initiate, serve, love. Do the hard thing at times. They long for you to step up. Amen? That doesn't mean your wife is not capable of leading. And that doesn't mean she's lesser. But she loves it when you take your God-given role of being the initiator, lever, leader, servant in your home. Don't be afraid. Stop wondering if she wants you to do it and just do it. Can I get an amen to that from the ladies today? Could you give your men permission to be the kind of men that you want them to be? Would you say a loud amen for me? Amen. amen. God bless. Take care.